So when we began our February theme of practicing the presence of God, we started in Colossians 3 and are going to conclude it by going to the end of Colossians 3. And where we began, it told us that we should seek the things above, that we should try to set our minds on heavenly things rather than earthly things. And that's really the essence of that traditional spiritual discipline of practicing the presence of God, to seek heavenly things, to set your mind on God. Or as I kind of boiled it down to, just look up as often as you can through your day, using whatever cues or reminders might be helpful to you. Remember that God is with you. Make yourself available to him. And this can be harder, but also very extra helpful during interruptions. And interruptions in our lives have been especially common these last couple of years. And you can check out last week's message for more on that one if you want to. But in this message, as we skip to the end of Colossians 3, we see an important teaching that's expressed in a couple of ways. That whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's no division of secular and sacred. There's no situations in life where we're not called to live according to our faith in Jesus or do things that are with him in mind. We also read that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And so part of practicing the presence of God is rejecting the idea that you're ever just working for or obeying human beings. Instead, we're taught to think that in everything we do, we're, we're doing that for God and to act accordingly. And so to explore this, we're going to work through today's passage. We're going to look through some of the main things we might learn from it and then dig into how that might be relevant, especially in the particular moment we're living through when it comes to the attitude and the perspective that we bring. So starting with this chunk of Colossians 3. And that begins with this reminder for us that for the Christian, our life is in Christ. That's where we started at the beginning of Colossians 3. Paul writes, Christ is your life. So it's all about Jesus. And from there, the chapter moves in the middle to talking about personal character for followers of Jesus, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness, the characteristics of those who follow Jesus. And then we reach today's passage. It really transitions into relationships. And it says, first of all, that we're called to peace as, one, as members of one body, as the body of Christ. And the church is this place that we're meant to let the message of Christ dwell among us. It's where we're taught what the Bible says and what it means. We're encouraged to experience it for ourselves so that we also mature in faith. One way that's done is also through music, as it says in this passage, that psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs have a way of carrying truth straight into our hearts when we sing gratefully to God regardless of the key we started, right? And we have just missed way too much of this through the pandemic, and I pray that we will not take that for granted any longer. And all of this should be guided by our desire to love and honor Jesus. So whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the next section has a few things to unravel. Because what we have here are three different relationships And in the time and culture this was written, each of those relationships had a clearly established hierarchy to them. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slave masters and slaves. And in uh, in each case, some similar instructions are given, where the person in the subordinate position is encouraged to obey the person with greater authority. So wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in everything. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. 
And then there's some instructions to those with greater authority. Paul instructs husbands to love their wives, not be harsh. He tells fathers, and this could equally be translated parents, not to exasperate their children, not to make them bitter so they become discouraged. Slave owners don't get specific instructions, but there is a warning to everybody at the end that anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. It doesn't matter how much earthly power and authority you're given. God holds everyone to account for their actions, including any mistreatment of other people who are made in God's image. So I guess expressing this as simply as I can manage, Paul is calling on Christians who have power and authority not to abuse it, but instead to show that kind and compassionate and humble and gentle and patient Christian character in those relationships where they are in that hierarchy, they are above uh, somebody else. And then all Christians, but notably those who are under the power and authority of others, are being told to act like whatever they're called on to do, they are actually doing that for God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So a couple of things I feel like it's important to note before we look at how to apply that, because this is a powerful and a liberating teaching, but it's also one that can be misunderstood and abused. For one thing, of course, how you understand wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord will depend on how you interpret a half dozen other passages in the New Testament. Some Christians see this as the way the marriage relationship should be in all cultures across all times, that there must be a hierarchy. And As most of you know, I am not one of those kinds of Christians. Because Paul is describing the power dynamics here in these relationships, not necessarily as they should be, but simply as they were in a time when things like rights and freedoms were not something that most people had access to, really. They were pretty hard to come by in that world. And I don't think anyone has a problem with children obey your parents. We're mostly all good with that one. But it gets a little different when we get to slavery here. Paul is obviously not speaking of slavery as the way that things should be, because the Bible is not pro-slavery, the Apostle Paul is not pro-slavery, but it was an everyday reality in his world. There were something like 40 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time, and the tiny number of Christians living in in that same uh, society, they were not in a position to do a whole lot about that. Paul's focus was on spreading the gospel, and it was not on overturning the social order. Because I think in Paul's mind, if every Christian convert had started ignoring their non-Christian parents or had stopped listening to their non-Christian husbands or if they ran away from their slave master, then that would have hugely undermined the early church's ability to do the thing that they thought was of the utmost importance, which was spreading their message of spiritual freedom and eternal life. That's why if you look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, he says, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. He says, remain in the situation you're in. Don't immediately throw out everything about your life because you've come to Christ. Bring that newfound hope and newfound faith in Jesus and let that spread to the people around you, including a harsh husband or an overbearing parent or a nasty slave master. It's not an easy thing to grapple with, reading it from here. But he says, look, even if that person with authority over that new Christian never changes, Paul says, 
Still do the work that's expected of you and, and work at it, in fact, with all your heart, as if you were working for the Lord. So the person telling you to do it, they may not deserve your wholehearted effort, but you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for God who will see it and who will reward it. And so it might look like you're serving a human master, but it's really Jesus that you are serving when you bring this attitude to what you do. So here are a few things that this does mean and a few things that this doesn't mean, because I think both are important in this passage. It does mean that if you are annoyed with your spouse for whatever reason, you shouldn't intentionally turn all of his or her laundry pink by throwing that red sweater in the wash, okay? Don't, don't notice that the car is almost empty as you're driving home, but think, well, it's the other person's problem. They have to take it in the morning, right? Don't check out of your relationship and start looking for fulfillment in someone or something else. Wholeheartedly bring your best, to your role in marriage, in child-rearing, as well as in your friendships, your other family relationships, not because everybody around you deserves it all the time, but because you're serving Christ and not necessarily them. This does not mean that anyone should endure a physically or emotionally or spiritually abusive relationship because someone has told them that good Christians just keep submitting to their husbands or honoring their mother or father no matter what. In some Christian circles, there are certain teachings like this about marriage in particular that have led to a great deal of harm, especially to women. And so I'm learning more and more as I see these things that it needs to be said regularly from up here that you are not serving Jesus if you are letting another person destroy you day in and day out. This does mean that we take seriously teaching our children to listen and obey, to respect other rightful authorities in the world. It does not mean that our goal is to get our kids to become what we imagined that they would be, but rather that we would model faithfulness to Jesus, that we would encourage them to discover their skills and their competence and their confidence and become who God created them to be. This does mean that even if you aren't properly respected or reasonably paid or well-led in your job, that you should still do that job to the best of your ability at all times, that you would not try to undermine things, even if the boss is a jerk. You're giving your best for Jesus' sake. But it does not mean that you should just put up with being mistreated instead of filing a complaint or a lawsuit or trying to unionize or quitting and looking for a different job. You have a lot of options that Roman slaves didn't have, and there's absolutely no reason that you shouldn't exercise them for your sake and for the sake of others who might benefit. Look for God's guidance in that. It tells us that it really ought to be a mark of Christian maturity that we are people who are well-known in the world for our diligence and for our competence. Right? We will not be perfect. None of us you know, can, can even grasp everything that we would need to do to get it all right. But as followers of Jesus, we should be sought out and respected in this world because it's known that we don't shirk our responsibilities. We don't coast in our relationships. We don't do our work half-heartedly. And that strengthens the witness of the church. It helps draw people to Jesus. It often leads to other rewards like greater opportunity in life or just that self-respect that comes from knowing that you are doing your best. The people reading Paul's letter may not have had a lot of hope that they were going to improve their lot in life ever. But Paul still asked them to give their best to whatever they were doing in service to Jesus who had given them this new and unquenchable and living hope that changed everything for them. 
Now, of course, Canadian Christians are a much larger and richer and politically influential group than the early Christians were in the Roman Empire. So we actually have the capacity to both spread the gospel and overturn the social order when we see that people are being treated unjustly. And so we should, God helping us. Okay, so those are some of the big picture, I think, implications of this teaching for Christians today. But I want to bring this down to the level of everyday life and connect it to our theme of practicing the presence of God, okay? So I think there is something here for anyone who feels like, man, I am just trying to get by right now. Like life feels like a bit of a slog. There is a daily grind happening without a whole lot to look forward to. And it's not like that can't have been true before two year, the last two years of, of pandemic, but that has definitely added to it. Because COVID has caused a lot of people to have to work much harder or change the way they do their job in big, big ways. It's made healthy routines and habits almost impossible for some people to maintain. It's put a strain on people's time and attention and focus in a big way. And along with this, I think the pandemic has robbed us of some of the rewards that used to come with all this effort that we were putting into different aspects of our lives. Right? I know people who haven't had any real vacation in the last two years because they have had to use every single vacation day they have because any time that they get sick or their kid gets sick or someone in their household has, is, needs to self-isolate or whatever it is, you know, they just, they've had to use it all on that so they don't get a real break because that's just how it works for them. I know people who've missed getting together with friends and family for Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthdays and milestones, the travel plans that have been canceled, the lunches and the day trips that didn't happen, the concerts, the you know, live sporting events, the, the movies at the theater, if the, that was your thing for entertainment, it's not been a great season for you. Many, many big interruptions to these things. And relationships have taken a beating. Some have been damaged by having very different takes on pandemic rules and the politics that go with that. Others have just withered because one or more of the people in that relationship just doesn't seem that willing to put in that, that effort right now or isn't able to put in that effort to carry it on. This feeling can be true in our church setting too. Because right? for me and, and some of our lay leaders, there's all this behind-the-scenes work to do. But in normal times, at least you know that that work leads to something that other people benefit from and you get to see it. There is that uplifting worship service that lots of people come to or that enjoyable fellowship lunch or that successful fundraiser or that meaningful small group. And so it, it certainly does not feel the same to be just kind of, you know, making videos on YouTube and making, going to meetings to organize stuff. Uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not the same situation. And so you, you miss getting to see that reward. And so I don't, that may not be your story. But I see a lot of people who are dealing with greater stresses and fewer rewards at the same time. And so is there an aspect of your life right now where you also, you feel increasingly tired and frustrated because you're just saying, look, I am putting a ton of time and energy into this and I'm just, I'm not getting much back. Nobody says thank you at work. Nobody sees and acknowledges how much harder it is for me at home right now. Nobody calls and reaches out to me. It's always up to me to sustain these relationships. And if you're feeling that way, then it is worth taking one more look at what it means when the Bible says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This doesn't mean you should try to do everything until you fall apart. God does not want you to be unwell or to continually to work beyond the limits that he's given you. But 
When you do those things you're called to do, do them well because you are doing them for Jesus and not for people. People might benefit, and they also might forget to thank you. They also might take you for granted. They might even make your life harder while you're trying to help them instead of rewarding you. But you're not working for that reward. When you serve God, he rewards you. Maybe with security and success, maybe with the strength to endure and to mature in your faith through the struggle, and absolutely with the assurance of eternal life through Jesus, that gift that trumps all others. At the risk of saying it too many times, this is not a command to be a doormat, but it is a call to a very different outlook, a very different attitude when you approach these things in life that you just have to do this. This is not an optional thing for you. Because you don't have to do it alone. Because God is with you in these things. And so when we recognize and we respond to God's presence, then the things that we have to do to get through the day and fulfill our responsibilities can become something more than that. They are opportunities to practice that presence of God, to reach out to him and see him at work. They're opportunities to show love for God by treating our work as service to Jesus. There are opportunities also to show the world that we are Jesus' followers, and you can see that in our character and in our dedication, right? with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And that is a liberating change of perspective. You're not hauling yourself out of bed to meet an unending stream of demands. You're being given life and breath for another day that you can spend in the presence of your Creator, serving Him with your best effort as an act of worship knowing that God does not overlook these things, that he does not fail to reward you for those things you do for him. Jesus has already laid down his life for you and made a place for you in his Father's house. He is not done blessing you either, especially if you make your days about him, seeking his presence, striving to obey his teachings. And that takes faith, of course. How and when God rewards our earnest efforts, that might not be obvious to us. And when we set our intention on remembering and responding to God, we don't always sense strongly that he's right there with us. We don't always see how he's active in what's going on around us. But I believe that the more we look for God at work, the more we're able to say, I am here, God, and I'm ready to respond to what you want, well, then the more our faith is strengthened and our trust will grow. So pandemic or no pandemic, working or retired, married or unmarried, raising children right now, not raising children, wherever you find yourself, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving.